I just have to uh, say it since I'm thinking it right now. I just feel so blessed to be a part of this community. And, I mean, these, these are tough times we live, tough economy. But to walk into this, this room with a bunch of people who have such a hunger for God, so much life and joy, you guys just bless me a ton. And uh, I just want to say that. We're going to... Um, start a new series. I, I don't like the word series, but I, I, I can't think of a better word. For the next month and a half, we're going to step into this biblical theme of the city. And I don't know if you've seen that theme run through scripture, but it's a pretty pervasive, strong theme. And if I had to give a, a, a title to this, this thing we're stepping into, it would be God of the City. Because really the Bible, when you look at it, it's a tale of two cities. The city of man and the city of God. And we're going to uncover that. And I'm kind of happy that we're coming to this right now. Um, I thought about this probably already beginning a year ago, and actually even goes back way before then, but I feel like we're getting a lot of people coming to our church, and some of you are probably wondering whether you're just coming to our church, or maybe even if you've been coming here for three, four years, you're like, okay, who is Crossroads, and what is Crossroads really going after? Hopefully after four to five weeks of this, you're going to get a stronger sense of what this community wants to be about, and what it is that we are trying to pursue with all of our heart. Now, one of the things that I'd just like to also say at the outset here is this. I want to tell you a little bit about how I came to Grand Rapids. Um, As you know, most of you, I was born and raised in Byron Center, a small town south of Grand Rapids. But when I left, when I was an 18-year-old, to Chicago, I left with the idea that I was never coming back here. And... Then, you know, you know, I was a youth pastor for about nine or ten years. And then after that, I settled in at a church in Chicago where I was the 20-somethings pastor. And I had a community of about 320, 30-somethings that I was pouring into. But I went to that church with the idea, and they had this idea as well, that they were going to plant me, plant a church through me, Four years later. Well, four years came up, and that door was wide open. And we were getting a green light. And God was, during that four-year period, growing a strong passion in my heart to plant a church in downtown Chicago. And it was, like, this close. And as it got about that close, God just slam the door shut on that. And not only did he do that, but in a crazy way, he led Libby and I to Grand Rapids. And we came to Grand Rapids really kicking and screaming, feeling like a dream of ours was lost. And we had to put fleeces out and test God Kind of like Gideon, are you sure about this, God? Is this really what you're doing? I mean, Grand Rapids, another church, are you kidding me? And 
I mean, there were times when Libby would be kicking my foot under the table and like, holy cow, can you believe that fleece was answered? And of course, when you test God that way, he has a way of testing you on the other side. And the first couple of years, you know, of our existence was a huge test for us. But the vision and mission of this church when we started was something like this. A movement of the gospel of Jesus Christ starting in Walker and moving towards the city. And whether that's just my own bent or not, I believe that's God's bent. And I want that to be the bent of our community. A movement of the gospel moving towards the city. Let's uh, stand and read our text this morning. Genesis chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible yet and you'd like one, you can just raise your hand really high. We'd love to get you one. This is found on page 7. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick, which is a man-made thing, instead of stone, which is God-made, and tar, which is man-made, for mortar, mortar, which is God-made. And then they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us. Isn't that funny? Come, let us. That's God talking. That's a triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world, and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. This is God's word. You can be seated. First, we we need to know where we are in God's story. And this story is following the flood, which is Genesis chapters 6 through 8. And immediately following the flood, God says to Moses and his family, he gives them the creation mandate all over again. He says, I want you now to be fruitful and to fill the earth. Because what God wants is this. He wants people to scatter and fill the earth. Why? Because it's not plants. It's not animals. But it's people whom God has invested his glory. People are imago Dei. 
made in the image of God, and God wants to spread people, he wants to spread imago dei all over the earth, so that his glory can be reflected everywhere. And so then when you read chapter 10, which in my Bible, little heading says, the table of nations, and when you read that, you think, oh, it's happening. People are going everywhere. Language is going everywhere. Peter, people are spreading out all over the earth. And it appears as if people are being obedient to God. But they're not. Because chronologically, chapter 11 comes before chapter 10. And in chapter 11, as we've just read, people are not spreading the clustering. And the reason they're clustering is because they wanted the security of being in one place with one language as one culture, as one people group. If you ask me, I think that's just the way people are. We're more comfortable when we're all the same. And yet, I think there's a small takeaway here. God's not a big fan of uniformity. God loves, he loves diversity. Now also, when we read this, I think it could be very easy for us to deduct that God dislikes cities. And I think many of us probably have our own thoughts about the city. I think many of us probably think that God invented the country Man invented the suburbs, and the devil invented the city. Raise your hand. Huh? Is that you? A little bit? Babel's problem is not that they formed a city, but it's the kind of city they formed and the motivation behind the city they formed. That's the problem, and we'll see that. In fact, I'd like to argue from this text, and we're going to look at this over the next several weeks, that the idea of the city, it's not man's invention, it's God's invention. It's God's idea. In fact, the reason why God invented the city, and I think you're going to see this throughout Scripture in Hebrews 11, verse 10, it says this. It says, For Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And when you look at the story of the Bible, you realize that the story starts in a garden, but it ends with what? What's coming out and down? It's a city. And so, when God's redemptive plan comes to complete fruition... It's going to be in the shape of a city. And you may like this or not like this, but that tells me that someday we're all going to be urbanites. Okay? So just put that pill in your mouth and start swallowing it right now. Here's why God invented the city. And I think these three things are in the text. First of all, the city is the place where we reach our human potential. In fact, in Genesis 4, the, the first city that, that is founded by Cain, you see the first song in the Bible, art. You see um, 
bronze and iron being discovered. And you see the invention of tools. You also see this in our text today. You see all of a sudden now they're taking stone and they're turning it into brick. And they're developing this like tar-like substance. And so you see like the inventions that lead to technological advancements. And in fact, in verse 6, God even says, wow, it's in this context that nothing here is impossible for them. And so here's a takeaway. God is entrusted. This is an amazing thought if you think about it. God has entrusted his whole creation to who? Us. And he's given us this mandate to fill it and to rule it and to to, 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 uh, subdue it. And so things like this, the creation of wealth is not a bad thing. It's a great thing. Production, production, the advancement of science and technology. I want to tell, tell you right now, God loves these things. God wants us to reach our full potential. But not for the glory of man, for his glory. And the city becomes the place, the optimum place, for us to do that. Second reason why God gave us the city, it's the place of safety and refuge. In fact, that's why they're building this city. They don't want to be scattered. They don't want to be alone. They don't want to be vulnerable. Think about this right now. Where are the poor? Where are the homeless? Where are the immigrants? Where are the marginalized? Where are the disenfranchised? See, God created the city to be the place where the least of these and the outsiders could take refuge. I think it's also fair to ask this question. Today, where are the Christians? The city is not only the place where people reach their potential, it's also the place of safety and refuge. And it's also, as we see in our text, the place where people seek God. We see this in our text. Because in the heart of this city, they are trying to build a tower. A tower that will reach to the heavens. Now, the tower was called Babel. The word Babel to the Jew means confusion. But the word Babel to the Middle Easterner means this. It means gateway to God. Let's build a tower so we can reach and touch and connect to God. This has been our innate need from the beginning. I'm going to make some generalizations, okay? Can I do that? My wife hates it when I do this. Um, but just, I'm going to do it right now, okay? And I'm actually warning you of that. So I'm, that's makes it okay for me to do this. Um, and she's working down the hallway right now, so we're all good. 
generalization. In the country, everybody's the same. And you catch your religion the way you might catch a cold. And you never really have to think about what you believe or, or, or why you believe what you believe because you know what? Everybody believes it. That's not the case in the city. In the city, your faith is challenged. Libby and I lived in downtown Chicago for two years. Our faith has never been more challenged than when we, when we lived there. I mean, it, it got to the point where there were times when I started thinking thoughts like, do I really believe this stuff? Are you kidding? And it's because every day you're passing hundreds of people. This person believes this. This person believes that. This person believes nothing about God. And it, it just, it challenges you. But I'll also say this, if, if, if any of you think I'm a passionate person about what, I'll, what I believe, I will connect that dot, my passion, with the two years when we lived in the city. Because it was there more than any other place where what we believed was pushed from our head and pushed deep into our hearts. The city. Who was the world's greatest missionary before the Apostle Paul? Any guesses? It's Alexander the Great. <laughs> See, I think we think of Alexander the Great as this guy who attempted to conquer the world, but Alexander the Great was actually seeking to do a whole lot more than that. He was seeking to evangelize the world, to change the world, to convert the world to Hellenism, Hellenism essentially being humanism. It's this belief that man is the measure of all things. What Alexander the Great said was this, you give me four things and I'll change the world. You give me the arts, you give me sport, you give me education, and you give me religion, I'll change the world. What Alexander the Great did as he conquered the world is he targeted cities. And when there weren't cities, he built them. In fact, we read about it in our Bible. The capitalists, Deca meaning ten, polis meaning city. That in that region, Alexander the Great did what he did all over his empire. He built cities. And in these cities, he put four things. He put theaters. He put gymnasiums. Gymnasiums were more than just what we think of a gymnasium. It was more than what we're in right now. Gymnasiums were their schools. Gymnos is the word for naked. Not that they sat in their classroom naked, but a big part of their education was physical training. It was done co-ed, and it was done in the nude. Just like the arenas, the sports that they did in that day, it was all done in the nude. Why? Because man is the measure of all things. They worshipped the human body. And so Alexander the Great put these pieces in every city. 
because it's all about the praise of men. Let's make a name for ourselves. This is the sin of Babel. It's the sin of building that tower. That tower was probably a ziggurat. A ziggurat is simply a temple to that city's God. Every city in the ancient world sought to be Neochorus or sought to be the Vatican to a certain God, whether it was Zeus, whether it was Baal, whether it was Artemis, whether it was Asclepius. And so the tallest building would be a temple to that God. And some of you are thinking, wow, how backwards is that? But I say this, are we any different? I mean, in our cities today, the tallest towers are still temples, I think, to the gods we worship. And these towers are built to honor the God who will give us a name. I remember when I traveled Europe for a whole summer between my junior and senior year in college and went all over the place. It was just awesome. Every European city has an old city and a new city. And in every old city, the skyline is dominated by what? Cathedrals. Five, six, seven, sometimes eight of these just huge spires just towering up. I'd say this would be true about Grand Rapids 50 years ago. The tallest buildings in our city would have been churches. Today, what are they? They're banks, arenas, convention centers, and hospitals. Now, I'm not saying that what we need to do is build some big Gothic cathedral or some modern-day crystal cathedral, okay? You can slap me on that one if you think that's what I'm saying. But I'm simply stating this, that our buildings do reflect the gods that we worship, whether it be the god of money, the god of sport, the god of power, the god of entertainment, the god of health. These towers are our attempt to make a name for ourselves. And this goes all the way back to the text we're looking at today, to Babel. Because Babel essentially is about the sin of pride. Hey, let's build a tower to make a name for ourselves. Look at me. Look at what I can do. Look at what these hands can build. Look at my ingenuity. Look at what I can accomplish. This is pride. Pride is the love of human praise. There's not a person in this room right now who doesn't love human praise. We seek human praise. We seek human approval. We're driven to make a name for ourselves because we seem to believe that true security comes through being significant. And so we run around like our heads are cut off. We, we treat life as this rat race. We go to great, great lengths to build towers. 
whether it be the tower of my accomplishments, whether it be the tower of my intellect, whether it be the tower of the things that I own or the crowd that I hang with, we build towers so that people will praise us, approve of us. Hey, look at me. And I'll tell you what it causes us to do. It causes us to succumb to what I think is the great perversion of our day. God made us to love people and use things, but it's pride that causes us to use people and love things. Here's the deal. You want a definition of sin this morning? So I think most of us have been taught that sin is just simply breaking the rules. Here's the rules. Don't break them. Maybe that's just what I was taught. But anybody else? You want to get to the core of what sin is. Sin is simply this. It's any time I try to find my security and my significance in anything other than God. That's sin. And that means I can sin by being a really bad person or I can sin by being a really good person. I can sin by finding my significance and security and having a million dollars in the bank or I can sin by finding my significance and security in the fact that I'm pastor of a church of a thousand people. They're both pride. And they're both incredibly ugly to God. And here's what the Bible teaches over and over and over again. You can't make a name for yourself. You can't. In fact, there's some humor in this text. I don't know if you saw it. But God has to come down. Why? What's the next clause? God comes down for what purpose? To see. Now, of course, God can see everything. But the point of this is this. That tower fell so short of of the heavens that God had to come down. Oh, there it is. The Bible's making a point. What we think might be impressive and huge and big and large in God's eyes, it's it's not even a speck. We can't make a name for ourselves. I don't know if you guys think crazy thoughts like this, but sometimes I think crazy thoughts like, when I die, will I be remembered or will I be forgotten? What if I asked you right now, could you remember the names of your grandparents? How many? Can you? How about your great-grandparents? Not that many. How about your great-great-parents? 
grandparents. Not one hand in the air. In one or two generations, we will all be forgotten. I think this is the wisdom that God gave to Solomon in Ecclesiastes, where Solomon said, I, I did this experiment, and I, I built whatever I could build. I built houses and mansions and gardens and vineyards, and I indulged in whatever my eyes wanted. Vanity of vanities. Meaningless, meaningless. It's all nothing more than a chasing after the wind. Not only does the Bible teach that you and I can't make a name for ourselves, it teaches that we were never put here in the first place to make a name for ourselves. Why? Because of what I said earlier, God made us in his image, and therefore, we were made for one, one purpose, and that is for his name. We have been put on this earth for however many years we live for one purpose, and that's to make his name great, to show God off to the world. In fact, that's what Paul said. You want the one aim of my life? It's that Christ would be exalted, that Christ would be magnified, that Christ would be made great. Whatever my circumstances are, I want Christ. I want when you look at my life, irrespective of whether I'm going through good times or bad times, when you look at my life and when you look at my death, I want you to conclude one thing. Paul, your Christ is awesome. That's why we're here. So what's the remedy to Babel? What's the remedy to human pride? Making a name for ourselves. Well, the first hint in the text is we can't fix the problem. Only God can. God must come down. In fact, this is the grace of God in this story, is that God does come down, and he comes down for one reason, to keep them from further ruin. Because God knows the immense potential of what people can do and accomplish, but he will not allow for humankind to be united around human pride. The Lord is my name, and I will not share my glory with anyone. And really, God's coming down in this story points to the whole message of the Bible. God comes down. And it points to the gospel. It points to God's ultimate coming down in the person of Jesus. Because when God comes down in Christ, Philippians says this. It's just awesome. The name that is above every name became of no reputation. Think about that. Think about what it is to even lose your name, what it is to lose your reputation. 
the name that is above every name became of no reputation. He lost his name. Why? So we could have a name. Only God can give you a name. And the way God gave you a name is he lost his name. And I want us to realize that when you get God's name, you're not just getting a label that's stamped on your life. Names in that day were so much more than, than a label. A name formed one's identity, and it established one's destiny. Think about how God created the world. We know he spoke it into existence, but it was even more specific to that. He named it. And what happens when God names something, it becomes exactly what God named it to be. That's why in Isaiah 43 verse 1, when God is talking about the name he gave to his people, he says, he created you, O Jacob. That was your former name, but he formed you. He recreated you, O Israel. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. And so when God names Jacob, now Israel, that speaks of so much more than God just taking this label off and putting another label on but it speaks to the amazing inside-out change that occurred in Jacob. Going from Jacob, deceiver, to Jacob, Israel, our God reigns. And so when God through Christ names us, it's not just a label, but it's change. And the change is so thorough and complete that our understanding of who we are and what we live for is change at the core. This is picked up in Revelation chapter 3, and I just want to read this text. Talking to the church in Philadelphia, this is what uh, Jesus says to them in his letter to that church. He says, I'm coming soon. And then he encourages them. He says, hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. And what Jesus is preparing them for is... There's going to be a persecution that's going to happen where their name is going to be just thrown in the mud and hundreds, thousands of people are going to lose their lives as a result. But Jesus says this, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take, take away your crown. And then he says, him who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. And then he says this, I will write on him the name of my God in the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on him my new name. You know that we've been given a name? The name that is above every name, and because, because this name is an everlasting name, you and I are everlasting. That's what this name means. And his name now becomes the true source of my security. It becomes the true source of my significance so that I no longer have to live my life in this world trying to make a name for myself, having to build a tower. Hey, everybody, look at me. 
He's given me a name, the name that is above every name. I'm set free from the world's game. I'm set free from seeking the praise of people. I'm set free from having to use people so I can love things. I'm set free from living life, your life for my life, but now it's my life for your life. I'm free. I'm free. That's what happens when Jesus names us. Who are you? Do you know your name? Has Jesus named you? Now God's answer to Babel becomes even more complete than it is in Genesis 11 because this really points to something that's awesome. Because the place where complete reversal of Babel takes place is in Acts chapter 2. It's, it's at Pentecost. And I don't have time to read about that. Maybe you can do that this week. But what you have in Acts chapter 2 is, again, God coming down. His spirit is being poured out. And what happens when, his, when God comes down and pours out his spirit, there's rebirth, there's a new humanity. And what you had at Babel, you had one language and people unified around what? The glory of man. God has to come down. He has to scatter them. But at Pentecost, you have many languages and many people groups, and God comes down, and the result is e pluribus unum. What is that? Take a bow. Is that you, Randy? Of course it is. It's always you, man. <laughs> Where is that? It's our motto, e pluribus unum. Out of the many, one. It's probably on every coin that anyone has in their pocket right now. Out of the many, one can really only happen one place. Under a one true God. And see, the awesome reality of Pentecost, the outcome of Pentecost, is not just a new humanity, but a new community. It's the city of God. The city of God, which is to be within the city of man. And let me just read what this city or what this new community, what it was about. You can read about this in Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42. I'm getting there. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I think this gets at the core of what this whole community was about. They were praising God and enjoying all the favor of the people. This community that I just read, this city, is the community and the city that every person longs for. And this is the Bible's solution 
to Babel. It's the city of God. It's this counter culture of little Christ. A community of little Christ, part of the bigger community. A city of little Christ, part of the bigger city. I can tell you what happened once. A bunch of kids, because honestly, that's how I see these disciples. A bunch of kids from small, rural, blue-collar towns. These kids spent three years with Jesus. Jesus pouring his life into their life. And then these kids were given the experience of Pentecost. Of not just Christ with them, but now it's Christ actually in them. And then before Jesus left them, he said this. He said, all authority, not some of it, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. 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 And they went. These kids from hick towns, they didn't go to the country. They went to the city. They went to all the major cities of the Roman Empire. They went to Antioch. They went to Pergamum. They went to Ephesus. They went to Corinth. They went to Athens. They went to Rome. And we can read about this in our history books. In two to three generations, they changed the core of these cities And in two to three centuries, they changed the heart of the Roman Empire. I ask myself, how did these guys do it? What did they have that changed the world? Did they have these big, huge church buildings? Did they have Christian bookstores? Did they have... They didn't have none of the resources we have today. This is what they had. They had the gospel, this life-changing message of Christ crucified. They had each other. And it was more than just each other. They couldn't get enough of each other. And they were living out all these one another's of Scripture. They were serving one another. They were, they were bearing one another's burdens. They were rejoicing with those who rejoice. They were weeping with those who weep. So in Acts 4, I think it's 32, says this, and there wasn't one, not one need among them. Not one. And there were God's people gathered around God's word, drinking it in, and they were a people, not just on Sunday mornings, but a people every moment of every day, just, just praising God. They had the Holy Spirit. They were just filled with this explosive reality of God. And finally, they had a 
fire in their gut. A fire in their gut. Not to make their name great, but a fire in their gut to make his name great. Now, Babel. I don't know if you knew this. The word Babel is used 236 times in the Old Testament. Except for a handful of times, this word is translated Babylon. And so, what we're reading about in Genesis 11 is not just some dinky city at the beginning of time. This is commentary on the origins of Babylon. The great harlot that you read about in Revelation that gets drunk on the wine of the blood of martyrs. I don't want to sound overly dramatic this morning, but I'm convinced we live in Babel. That's Babylon out there. And I think one of the things that we're going to see even in our lifetime, I think we're getting a front row seat to it right now, even though we're, 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 we're looking at it like we're on the top floor of the Titanic and we're just kind of whining and dining and drinking away. But I think we're going to see towers and temples to the gods that we've built to money and to making a name for ourselves and to sport and have a front row seat to watching them crumble. Maybe in our lifetime. And do you know the opportunity we have as the city of man, Babel, Babylon, crumbles? City of God, rise up. And so, crossroads, get this in your minds. We're not here to hold services. We're not even here to build a great church. Crossroads is here for one reason. To build a great city. To see Grand Rapids, Michigan. Become the city of God. And I just want to end with this, and we'll be flushing this out more because I think it begs the question of how. But I want to say this if we really have a vision to get outside of these walls, to be a community within the community, to be a city, the city of God within the city of man, if that's really our vision, we need Pentecost. We need, a, we need a real, personal Pentecost of God coming down. Of God pouring out and filling us with his spirit. Of God giving us a new name that sets us free from living our lives to have to make a name for ourselves. Of recreating us into this counterculture, new humanity of little Christ's. If you have not experienced Pentecost, ask, just ask him. Ask God. I don't know if this is good theology or bad theology. I think there's a verse 
in the Bible that speaks of Paul doing this. So, but I'm going to tell you something. I pray for Pentecost in my own heart and life every day. I pray that God would fill me. God, would you just fill me with your Holy Spirit? God, would you continue to trans, change and transform my heart and my life from the inside out? Would you make me into a little Christ so that today I can be Christ to my street corner? Number one, we need Pentecost. Number two, we need each other. Each other. I'm going to say something right now. This isn't going to cut it. And if this is all Crossroads is, we're blowing it. We're completely blowing it. The only reason Sunday morning exists is so that we can catalyze Acts 2. And if you today are not in a community, an Acts 2 community, you're not experiencing or participating in church. The best thing we have going, it's not a perfect thing, but the best thing we have going right now, community groups. And all the, the, the little churches that are a part of this gathering. Number three, we must go. And I'm not going to say what this looks like right now, but I want to say this. We don't go as individuals. We go as, as communities. We go as little cities. And here's the thing. Yes, we're going to go to the country. Yes, we're going to go to the suburbs. But this church must target the city. And reaching the city, I know that sounds big and vague in general. I'll make it really practical right now. It starts with your street corner. And it must have this single passion. And if you don't have it, just pray for it. From Jeremiah 20, verse 9, he says this. But if I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, his word is a fire in my chest, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. And if we give our lives to this end, you know what? One, two, three generations right now, they're going to forget our names. But you know what? They'll know his name. And by God's grace, if two, three generations from now, there's a generation of little Christs in our world because we are like the disciples. Let's go. Let's go. I'm waiting for an amen. Let's go.